heard the expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? right? Probably even used it ourselves at some point in our lives when explaining our own behavior or the behavior or actions of someone else, because it's kind of convenient. The origin of you can't teach an old dog new tricks comes from the mid 1500s. It's one of the oldest idiomatic expressions in the English language. And the original use of the phrase appears in the book, The Book of Husbandry by John Fitzherber, published in 1534, where it is written, and of course, I feel like I need to do a, some kind of uh, accent when I read this, but, and he, a shepherd, must teach his dog to bark when he would have him, to run when he would have him, and to leave running when he would have him, or else he is not a cunning shepherd. The dog must learn it when he is a whelp, or else it will not be, for it is hard to make an old dog to stop. It also shows up in a dialogue containing the number in effect of all the proverbs in the English tongue, published in 1546, and a more modern version of the expression showed up in a 1721 book, Diverse Proverbs, authored by Nathan Bailey. While it isn't the exact phrase of the exact version of the phrase we use today, it's quite close. An old dog will learn no tricks. Now, in my research, what I couldn't find was when it exactly became some kind of cultural rule, though. At what point did it become an excuse to stop learning and growing? The old dog mindset can wreak lots of havoc. If we look at our country right now, entrenched racism and misogyny, the practices of the founding old dogs have helped to ignite renewed vigor in limiting the rights of women and our LGBTQ siblings, in continuing the needless slaughter of black women and women via police and prison, and a wholesale failure to care about public safety, especially the safety of children, by clinging to an arcane Second Amendment. Florida's latest shenanigans are a wonderful example of an effort to maintain the old dog mindset as they ban the teaching of real American history, which means including the truth of African American history. In my various work over the years, this old dog mentality has shown up in this phrase. This is the way we've always done things. Don't try to change it. Entrenched mindsets and entrenched behaviors actively limit our possibilities. We must, however, become comfortable breaking away from the way things have always been, whether on a small scale in our family or community or larger, our nation or our global, our global society. The first step, though, is that we have to be willing to learn. We have to be ready to admit that we don't know all the things. And perhaps we need to be interested in practicing the Buddhist concept of beginner's mind. 
I've always been a believer and follower of the lifelong learning concept and in entering situations with beginner's mind. If it's new to you, this excerpt from Lion's Roar should sum it up. A Zen teacher, teacher, Suzuki Roshi, famously said, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. When we start to learn anything for the first time, we are fresh, curious, and open to all possibilities. Our mind is not yet solid with concepts, opinions, and certainties. This beginner's mind is awakened mind itself, which is beyond concepts and opinion. It is the don't know mind that is the essence of meditation, and we should never lose it. So beginner's mind, for me, I went to seminary at age 47. After already having a PhD and a few different careers and raising a child because I knew there was more I wanted to learn. And it was interesting because I recall very clearly talking about beginner's mind in one of my interfaith classes and getting strange looks from the young folks, like people who were 20 years younger than me. One even said, I don't want to do that. Different strokes, I guess. But it has always served me. It has made me open. It has kept me curious. It has helped me practice humility. And it has allowed me to release my ego and my need to know or to be right, which I believe has served me well. So when my spiritual director and I were talking about a year ago, she said, Leonisa, I think you're not getting enough creative time. You need to tap into your creativity again. You sound frustrated and maybe a little sad. My immediate response to her was that I'd start making music again. I had, had kind of let it lapse. And that had always been my go-to. My creativity and my artistic outlet was through music. And Therese said, nope, that's something you already know. I want you to try something completely new. So since music was always my art, I had never really explored the fine arts. I had a small stint in making jewelry in the 80s and 90s. And of course, since I've worked with children over the years, I would dabble alongside them with coloring or making collages. But really, really, art was not anything I had any talent for. And a few months prior to my spiritual director's suggestion, my daughter and I had toured the Kingston Ceramic Studio as part of Art Walk in Kingston. I have long loved pottery. I like to say it's because I'm Italian, but I don't know what it is. But I have a large collection of bowls from around the world. So I signed up for a class at the studio and this old dog put on clothes that could get dirty and I went and played with clay. On the first day we did some hand building and I learned the basics, and I learned quickly that clay is really responsive. One false move, and you're off in a different direction. Or that one move could open up new ideas. I also learned it took patience. There is no rushing in pottery. Each step of the way must be mindful. I learned this even more when, during a subsequent class, I began to learn how to use 
the pottery wheel. Any ceramicists in the room or potters? Okay. The wheel drives me absolutely bonkers. One moment of distraction and that blob of clay was off-centered or had gone from a vessel to a catastrophe in the blink of an eye. My frustration at the wheel remains quite real, but the more I accepted my role as a learner, it was quite easy to just dive into it as a mindfulness practice, even or maybe especially when things didn't work out. I also learned patience because you can't make a potted thing in one day. You have to create your piece, which takes time. Like just a few weeks ago, I spent three hours hand building this giant pasta bowl. It's the most relaxed I'd been in the longest time. But you wait, and after you make the thing, then you have to fire it in a kiln. And I'm in a shared uh, studio space, and so that could take a while. And there's no choice. You have to wait. And then it comes out, and you agonize over how you're going to glaze it. Do I underglaze? What colors do I want? Do I layer them? Would it be interesting? And then you wait for it to be fired another time. And then you hope when you walk over to the shelf, that what you find is to your liking. I can say that since this whole undertaking was new to me, I had no attachment to the outcome. Everything I made, lumpy, too thick, too thin, just right, brought me joy because I found joy in the process. So a little show and tell. I created this cup thing holder vessel my first day of class and then it wasn't until three weeks later that I got to finally bring it home and man I was like a little kid when I walked into the house with my cup thingy and Raffaella my daughter was like oh mommy that's so nice and I think she was just being kind and God love her for that right and, and Michael my husband just sort of looked at it. He sort of looked like a dog looking at a thing with his, you know, his ears didn't go up, but his face was tilting. And I was so mad at him. I'm like, that re that's your reaction? So he read my face and he quickly backpedaled and said, but honey, you're always so good at everything. I asked his permission to share this story, so. Um, and that was such an amazing moment because I am competent or I have been competent and thus when I or any of us who are deemed learned or competent or effective or successful, whatever that means, does something new, we might raise a few eyebrows, especially if it's not up to standard. And so I wonder if that's what holds so many of us old dogs back. The fear of making a mistake or making something less than perfect or getting quizzical looks or the fear even just endeavoring to try something different. Whether it's art or a new idea or a new way of thinking or being, maybe it's just fear that holds us back. Maybe it's not that old dogs can't learn new tricks, it's that we won't. 
As I mentioned, working with clay has taught me a number of things. So, first, it's okay to be a learner, a newbie. It's also okay to say, oh my God, I don't know. Or to ask your teacher, mentor, minister, friend, colleague, much younger than me person, questions out of curiosity and learning rather than having an answer you wanna to get to. This not knowing can be incredibly rich. I think this becomes harder the older we get because society tells us that we are an expert or we deem ourselves an expert. What a limiting concept. About 25 years ago, I was in a taxi with my mentor, Dr. Betty Reardon, and we we're heading back to Columbia from the United Nations where she was guiding us in an internship. And I was ranting, maybe I was just complaining, I don't know, about how the speaker that day was not an expert on the topic she was talking about and what a waste that was. And Betty, as she was known to do, turned and asked me, why does she need to be an expert for you to listen to her? Our conversation continued and she said something along the lines, this is an exact quote, paraphrasing, she said something like, don't be fooled by that term expert. None of us are experts. And if we think we are, we're just telling the world that we've decided to stop learning. So to this day, I continue to eschew the term and concept of ever being an expert. And may I, I know I'll never be an expert at pottery and may I never feel like I am one. I've also relearned that it's okay to not be attached to outcome, but to dig into the process. In my piecework, it seems that the world we live in is so attached to outcome that we forget or ignore the work that we must do and the learning and growth that happens during the doing. I've also learned that outcome can be uncertain or can shift. So instead of being attached to outcome, we can be open to outcome. Like I worked on a vase last month and put it in the waiting to be fired shelf. And a few days later, I get a message on our Slack channel that it had a giant crack in it. And when I came to the studio a few days later, I asked the ceramics, ceramics teacher on duty that day why she thought it happened. And she explained to me that it dried too fast. I had put my almost leather hard vase into the room with the kilns, which as you can imagine is quite hot. And this rushed the drying process and my vase cracked. I learned once again, you can't rush. That's a really good learning for me. So hours of work, gone. But that crack did not negate the joy and focus and satisfaction I felt when making the vase. I took that broken vase to the clay reclaim bucket and in an almost ritual-like manner, I broke it apart and watched the pieces fall into the bucket with all the other failed attempts. And in time, that bucket of thwarted efforts became new clay for all of us to try again. Finally, this endeavor in the ceramic arts has given me a perspective on vision. 
When I'm climbing the three flights of stairs to the studio, I have an idea or a vision for the piece I want to work on that day. I do the steps needed to get there with flexibility, curiosity, lots of humility, and non-attachment. Inevitably, along the way, something shifts. A studio member suggests something to me that I'd never thought of or didn't know how to do or I gouge into the piece with a fingernail, or the form I'm making just won't hold, and then I adapt. I still have an idea in my mind, but I know I also have to go where the clay takes me. And in real life, I know that I have a clear vision for the world I want to be part of creating. I think many of us probably share that same vision. And I've had roughly the same vision for more than 35 years. And all these years later, I know I need flexibility, a curious mind, an open heart, a willingness to listen and learn from others. And nowadays, that means listening to others who are younger than me for that world to come into being. And I know that the path to that vision may be long and have bumps in the road, but I want to see it happen, to build it. And I want to enjoy the transformative possibilities along the way, in me, in Clay, and in the community and people I surround myself with. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit deeper into some of the service themes for the day. My name is Amber Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society, and I use she and her pronouns. And I am so excited to get to dive into this message about doing new things and trying new things with our, not necessarily new to us, but new to this specific role, sabbatical minister, Reverend Leonisa. It's so great to be with you. Likewise, Ember. I feel like it's been a while since we, we got to do this. So I'm very excited. Yeah. And this new thing of sabbatical ministry for Fourth U, right? Right. Yeah. This it, it, you know, it seems very appropriate to um start. Yes. Start, uh... <laughs> I might I might have planned that accordingly. There might have been a thought or two in mind for that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and the secret, the secret to you know, writing a good sermon is that people can never tell if it's something you wrote five years ago or if you just came up with it that day and it just seems really relevant. Yes. Or, yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, uh, it really is, um, it feels appropriate to think about um, being used to new things as we <laughs> get used to being without Reverend Schuyler for, for a six month stretch, which is not the norm for this community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not new to fourth you, right? It's my spiritual home. It's my home congregation, right? I, I am not an affiliate minister. I did, uh, um, I covered for when Skylar was on family leave, but this is a different kind of new, right? Like this is a new position to be in essence, the acting senior minister. Like that's new for me. That's new for the congregation. I, I, I mean, those of us who have been around for a while probably remember previous ministers having um, sabbaticals, but this is the first time to be without Skylar in an extended time. And so it feels new. And if, and it's also new. I've done another, I'm actually wrapping up another sabbatical ministry coverage, but the sabbatical ministry concept is a 
new thing for me. And it's an interesting one for you use like that. We actually allow our ministers allow that's maybe not the best word, but you know, we give our ministers encourage, encourage and reward years of work and service and time to then go and, um, you know, do the work that helps one sustain your ministry and and think more deeply and learn new stuff. So, yeah. Yes. The anti-capitalist in me, uh, as Reverend Schuyler and I discussed in last week's video, you know, we all deserve sabbaticals, all of, you know. Absolutely. I actually think that we should all be like on sabbatical and then we do things when we want to. Like, I would like to flip the entire script. Like, you know. Permanently on sabbatical, occasionally on sabbatical, working. I will do the things I need to do when I'm when the spirit moves me or because but that would mean we'd have to get rid of paying bills and all which I'm all for and all that stuff. You you and I are of the same mind of that. But I think if like the notion of like the the sabbatical or a retreat or any of that, you know, that the stepping back and resting and um not feeling the need to be uber productive or whatever that is. I think it's really, I mean, many other um, professions have versions of that because they recognize there's a, a recognition of the inherent value of being able to step away and really kind of retreat into a space of learning and rest. And um, yeah. Yeah. So we learned a little bit about your, um, your clay work. Yes. Um, And uh, you know, we even got to, uh, we we're having the kids uh, work with clay in the, in the time for all ages and, um, you know, lots of, lots of clay involved. Lots of clay. Are you now an expert on clay? Oh, I'm learning. Darling, I'll never be an expert on clay. <laughs> That's a good way to set up this conversation. Yes. Yeah, so no, I, I, am, I am very much, I even was just talking to, um, I don't know, somebody was it this morning, this morning or yesterday about saying like, I'm st- I still very much feel like a beginner. Um, and I, part of that, as we heard in the sermon, is because I just do approach it with beginner's mind. But part of it is there is so much to learn. And I feel that way about almost everything, right? But it's certainly working with clay, you know, like any time I'm in the studio, um, someone could come up and they'll sometimes it's like, oh, what are you working on? And I'm like, me, I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, no, that's fabulous. Right. And then, which is this wonderful exchange of ideas. And then other times I'm working on something and someone will incredibly generously or graciously say, have you thought about doing this? Or don't be afraid to try this. And I'm like, like sometimes I just need. So yeah, no, I'm not anywhere near an expert. I still consider myself a very much a beginner. I've been living into my my creativity for it though. So that's kind of fun, right? Like I know that I've learned enough to know how to mess around with it, but then I also know that I make mistakes. I also know that there's so much more I have to learn. I also know that I'll do something and then I'll go, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. Let's put it in the oven and see what happens. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I think it's so important to um, always come at things with a with a desire to learn. Like when it was, you know, moving abroad for us, like going over there, not not as like the people with all the knowledge, but to learn from folks over there. Or um, though so, sometimes at the same time, I also like enjoy gaining some level of expertise. I enjoy becoming a regular at you know our local grocery store. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I know these aisles. I can do this or in 10 they, minutes. You know, they but... start to recognize you. Like, you know, this morning I went and got groceries and the uh, the attendant, she sees me the same day, every same time, same day, every week. And uh, so she's like, she's like, hey, I'm going to be right back. She's like, I know you can handle this without me. And of course, something <laughs> did go wrong The because I was doing the self-check and something did go wrong. The one time that she's like, I'm going to step Not away. It. I'm like, no. Yeah, don't leave me. No, right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I was a regular. So I'm I'm always torn. I both love coming at things with this fresh, always learning eyes, but also do like gaining that like sense of um regularity and that sense of some maybe not expertise, but at least being familiar. Learning and being familiar and learning. And I think, I mean, I'm with you on that. Like I don't think uh, you know, that story that I share about, you know, Betty, uh, her, her comment about experts, right? You know, it's 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 sort of humiliating for me, but I also, that's fine too, but that's a good learning, right? Like we have to learn humility. And, um, but I, I think that the problem is, is if we think we know the thing, that's where the problem lies. Like we get to the point where we're like, I got this. And I'm like, and we all do that, but it's more like, I got this and I don't need to listen or there's no more I can add to my my knowledge. Whereas, you know, the world is continually growing and changing. And I mean, I guess maybe a lot of it is its roots for me as a scientist, which was always like, let's do this thing like this. Let's ask this question and then we're going to research it and then we're going to come up with 20 more questions. Right. So there's always more to learn. There's always more to explore. Um, so we, you know, we could file in our learning. But if it if we ever get to the place where we're like, I don't need to learn anymore, I feel like that's the sad part. And I think that's why that word expert can be you know, sort of a trap maybe of like saying like, I'm an expert at this, like, what do I, blah, blah, blah. You know, but maybe you meet, a, I usually, it's usually like a young person or a kid, like a real kid who like says something about a thing and you're like, oh my God, I've never thought of it that way, right? Like there's something to, even if you're super knowledgeable in an area to still remain open to what else you could learn or know from people you maybe didn't expect it from. Right. No, that made me think, especially because you were just talking about like burnout with sabbatical and, and things like that. Um, like uh, one of the things um, as I've come into this work um, at 4th U is that it has felt like I've had to reinvent the wheel every single year. There's not been there's not been any time to just rest on my laurels, to rest on um, what has worked before, which I yeah. think is also this like, you know, would it be nice if things like calm down for a year or two in our general society? Yes. Yeah, that'd be um, it, okay. <laughs> but I think that you you see a lot of folks in ministry and religious education and education in general, like there's so much burnout, people leaving these sorts of career fields because it it previously was something like I think for like for a lot of folks, ministry work, church work, nonprofit work, there's something that you could like have a pretty standard formula and like, here we go. This is going to work. This is how you do this. You know, it's the reason why Reverend Schuyler talked about with his sabbatical thing is to go see what's going on with religion right now, because right now is not normal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we've had a, it's been a strange six or seven years, right? right? You know, like, and so, or more, but, you know, we could start there. And, you know, and like the idea of like, where do I, how do I do this thing? And I think it's really interesting too, to think about in terms of how congregations function or even how whole 
religious communities function, you know, like there is a steady decline in folks wanting to go to church on a Sunday morning or wanting to be part even of something that they call religion, you know, and I think it really calls those of us who um, do this work to think creatively and uh, you know about how what what does it mean to be part of a religious community today given what's happening right and what does it mean to to be part of a um an organized religion while there's a decline or or especially like unitarian universalism right like a liberal organized religion that a disorganized organized disorganized organized that's beautiful right yeah Yeah, i'll trade i'm going to trademark that one or else the ua is going to steal it Yes, before they steal it, you got to monetize that, you <laughs> capitalists. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> but you know, but it's true. It's that I think is the. I mean, I mean, maybe it's the positive upside of this sort of feeling of um, unknowing and and wackitudinalness that's out there is that we can maybe spend time in deep conversation with people and get really creative about what it means to be a spiritual home for folks or what does it mean to how do we cultivate spiritual practice if it's it's if it's not like you know i was raised going to church every sunday as were you right like and that's like a routine and that's not i work with young people that's not what they necessarily do anymore so what how can we think of other creative and interesting ways to have spiritual grounding at a time where we really need spiritual grounding, right? Mm. And we're just going to have to come at it with learner's eyes. Yes, exactly. Like, and that, you know, I think if we listen and, and see what people are interested in and listen to what people are saying, instead of saying like, no, 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 this is the way it's always been done, right? Part of my impetus for writing the sermon too is that I've served lots of organizations, congregations, organizations, you know, and often the fallback is, you know, we've always done it this way and this is how we function. And you're like, yeah, the world isn't the same, even within two years, four years, eight years, 20 years, right? Like to say we do things a certain way, I mean, just sort of cuts us off from thinking about how we can grow and learn and move forward in, in, in congregations or in communities or in society writ large. To end us on a slightly more upbeat and fun note uh, than thinking know, about right? how we face all of the challenges of the world. What are some other new things that you're giving a try? Is there anything else? Well, yeah, you know, so, and I had this moment today as I sat in the studio for like a few hours working on a few pieces. I was like, you know, you could be doing these other new things you're interested in. I was like, I could be, but this is what I'm doing right now. It's become a spiritual practice, right? So I, I really protect it. But the other thing I'm interested in doing, and I'm I'm gonna l- like launch it for lack of a better way to put it, which is uh, I know, right? Like, woo, welcome to the world moment coming up in two weeks. Is I've decided to um, create a Substack. A friend suggested Substack to me, which is like a. Um, because I wanted to do a blog, right? I write a lot, right? I think a lot. I sure talk a lot. Anybody who knows me, really, I know, right? And so I thought, what if I, you know, let's make a blog. Like years ago, I started a blog and then it went away. And I, and then she, she my friend um, Lori said, no, you should look at Substack, right? Because it, it's like a built-in community of people who want to read and have dialogue. And so I created a Substack account and I'm getting over my own 
um, I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or a little trepidation or just like fear of, oh my gosh, if I put this into the world, what will happen? You know, like that stuff. Um, and I was like, you could do it with clay and you have almost no artistic ability and you, you could certainly do a sub stack and cause you know how to write. So like, so that's, um, that's what I'm going for. And companion to that is also a podcast that's impending and maybe you'll be one of my guests there. But yeah i've had up for like a the year tables have turned exactly like it's a turnabout is fair play as my father always says right you know so i think he that's in a conflict sense and ours will be a fun way to but i've been thinking about a podcast for like a year and you know and another friend my my friend in italy francesca started a podcast and we just looked at each other and, I, and it was like wonderful like Oh my God, let's just do it. Right. And so that's the other thing. So I've got a few, um, uh, I've got, th those are the biggies and it's, and a lot of it's linked to this idea of wanting to launch the peace education center, which I finally became a, you know, a certified 501 C3. So I literally have nothing holding me back from going out and offering programs or thinking about things. Cause I am, a, I'm an organization. I, I'm an organization now. Right. So so yeah, how about you? Is there anything here? Can I ask you that question? Let's see. Um, I just finished uh, a read of The Odyssey, um, the Emily Wilson translation. It's a newer translation and it was amazing. I've always kind of wanted to be one of those people that, you know, like I, I hear people that are like, I read Lord of the Rings every year. And <laughs> I think this might finally be like my, I read this every year read, like it was that good. Really? It was just it was such a well-done translation. That's so um, good. Right. So I've been doing I've been doing a little bit more reading. I've been doing some embroidery. Um I did a little bit of that in the past. Um and I've been, I uh, right now my new is coming back to some things that I'd kind of uh let go in 2022. Like either there were habits that I was forming in 2021 and in 2020 but that kind of got put on the back burner during whatever the world 2022 was. Um, <laughs> and so I'm trying to come back to them. Things like writing poetry, journaling, um, nice. taking time to meditate, taking time to embroider, read, um, trying to focus on the basics of like, you know, these are the things I enjoy. That's beautiful. I like that a lot. Yeah. And then it's, does it feel like a spiritual practice to you? It does. Yeah. yeah. That's what I realized too, is like the things I want to take on, I want them to feel like spiritual practice. I want them to be spiritual practice. I don't so want them- so strange to that we both yeah. ended up doing ministry. I know. Imagine that, right? What are the odds? All the gin oh, joints in all the world there, <laughs> right? No, in fact, my journaling, I am currently working through a uh, 80 question shadow work prompts um, Ooh. because I am a glutton for punishment, but also it because it feels good. Yeah. Um, I think I want to learn more about that. We're going to have to talk offline. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you for being the first organization that I've gotten to sit down in a one on one <laughs> discussion with. Sorry, that's hysterical. Yeah, I had to take the opportunity. It's yes, good. well played. Well played, Amber. <laughs> but thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me. And uh, I'm so excited to get to spend more time together in the next few months. Me too. It's really fun. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Amber. <laughs>